Hi, I'm Paul Edwards and welcome to Tuesday Topics. We are overjoyed to have everyone with us. Just before we started, I know there were 37 people who were participating on the attendees side, but I also have two panelists with us this evening, Jim Crott from Florida and Claire Stanley from Maryland. We'll get to them shortly. We're going to be talking about voting tonight, and particularly, we're going to be talking about mail-in or remote balloting. And if we, if we take the most recent experience we can look at, there's a real need for remote balloting, and there's a real need for accessible remote balloting. In the Wisconsin primary that recently took place, there were supposed to be 185 polling places in the city of Milwaukee. There were only three. People had to wait four and five and six hours at polling places. And clearly, if we're going to have this kind of situation persist for primary elections later this year, or for the general election that's going to be coming up in the fall, uh, it will not be good. We in Florida have had a sort of an ongoing relationship with uh, our Department of Elections uh, that's been an off-again, on-again kind of fight. We were in a situation in 2007 where every single machine, or virtually every single machine that was being used by disabled voters in the state of Florida was declared not usable uh, by everybody else, but could continue to be used by people with disabilities. And it was only supposed to be for a couple of years while we played catch up, but the fact is it persisted for eight or nine years. And by the time we got to the next stage in our relationship, virtually all of the old machines, which nobody else was allowed to use but people with disabilities, had worn out no spare parts were available. And when a new set of machines began to appear on the line that could be used by people with disabilities, we found ourselves in a situation where two machines ended up being sort of certified. But then, if you can imagine it, things got worse because suddenly the state said something bizarre about what was going to happen after 2020. What did they say, Mr. Krott? Well, they certainly determined that uh, come 2020, the uh, equipment, uh, one of the systems that was certified was not going to be able to be used, used because it printed uh, ballots on paper stock that was dif different than the d defined ballot uh, in accordance with state law. So uh, that meant that come 2020, there was going to be one system that a few counties had, but the other system that many counties had and the others were in line to buy was not going to work. Yep, so it was pretty scary. So we ended up, we ended up as the Florida Council of the Blind, getting pretty active um, and doing a lot of work with legislators, a lot of work with the Department of Elections, and eventually, we ended up getting that problem solved and actually solved well, wouldn't you say, Jim? I would say it was solved very well, uh, not without a huge amount of fighting uh, and, and work. 
uh, a tremendous amount of grassroots advocacy effort um, by FCB's members uh, at the legislature, uh, but the problem was resolved in the 2019 legislative session just in time for the remaining counties to purchase the equipment and launch it for the 2020 elections. Uh-huh. And the cool additional, the cool additional component that we got is the machines are now not only usable by people with disabilities, but usable by anybody, uh, which is for us exciting. So let me start uh, in terms of the, the remote ballot story in Florida by saying to folks that I grew up on uh, private, independent, verifiable polling place voting. And I was a huge adherent of training folks to go to their polling places and use um, their right to vote privately, independently, and verifiably. And, And Jim will tell you that when he came to the Florida Council of the Blind with a resolution asking us to become active in remote balloting and mail-in balloting, I wasn't all that overjoyed. Luckily for him, I was chair of the resolutions committee, so couldn't say a lot. And the resolution passed and we started to work on uh, mail-in balloting. The argument that convinced me um, was that the same law that applies to voting at polling places applies to remote voting. If it's illegal to deny individuals with disabilities access to polling place voting and to have inaccessible polling places, it's equally illegal uh, to, to have a situation where remote balloting is not accessible as well. So Jim, what happened once we, uh, once we began to move in the direction of asking for uh, relief from the state in terms of mail-in balloting, and, and then you can carry on and tell us where we are now. Okay, I'd be glad to. Uh, it, it's very uh, interesting, because I'm, I'm not sure how far back it goes, but I think it goes four or five years back, maybe more. Um, there was a separate statute on the book in Florida that required uh, remote voting to be accessible. Um, This was over and above any ADA requirements, over and above any other requirements. So there was a framework of state law that required counties to have uh, accessible vote by mail, but no one had ever implemented that. And moreover, there was no state system certified um, and in Florida to have uh, a voting system usable by any of the counties, they have to be approved and certified by the state. Uh, I met with um, the Division of Elections Director at least two and a half years ago and probably longer um, when HAVA funds, additional HAVA funds became available and tried and to convince Help America her, Vote Act. Yeah. That's Help America Vote Act. And tried to convince her that she should consider buying uh, a statewide accessible vote by mail program available th- through a vendor that was pretty much just getting started but had a decent accessible product. 
Um, of course, that request really didn't get a lot of traction uh, because the vendor had not yet applied for certification, number one, and number two, voting systems typically are approved by the state but purchased by the counties. Uh, we passed three resolutions by uh, the Florida Council of the Blind. We took it to the American Council of the Blind and had, I believe, two resolutions passed there. Um, we continued to push, and I mean push hard, for the state to certify and the vendor to apply. Um, and we went back and forth and around and around and got nowhere. Um, it was a very frustrating experience. I remained um, committed to working with the Division of Elections, but I was frustrated at, with their incalcitrance. Um, they stopped responding to my requests for status reports and updates. So finally, I went to the Florida Council of the Blind this past, uh, would that have been November? Yeah. Or was it, and asked for authority to file a complaint with the Department of Justice. Uh, it was the last thing I wanted to do, but they would not respond. They would not move forward with the certification application. And finally, about six weeks ago, after I drafted the complaint, but on the cusp of my calling them and telling them that I was about to file this and I really didn't want to file it, would they please call me back? Did I get a call back? And I got a call back with really good news. And the long and the short of this is after a tremendous amount of, uh, of both hand-holding and, and brow-beating and screaming and yelling, uh, a vote-by-mail system is within the next several weeks going to be certified in the state of Florida. Uh, we have now commenced uh, asking our local uh, officers of FCB to contact their supervisors of election to urge the purchase of this equipment once it's software, once it's uh, certified, and hopefully, at least in some counties, if not all counties, it will be deployed by the time of the 2020 presidential election. Um, not been an easy fight, and it's been a fight that's involved a lot of people and a lot of hard, hard advocacy. So we're nowhere in Florida unless we can persuade individual counties to buy this software. Is that right? Um, I know Orange County has already purchased the equipment. It was sold originally as a sample ballot system, um, but they already have it in place. And um, I believe they could deploy it as soon as it's certified. I don't know what other counties in Florida have purchased it, but I think there are several. Excellent. So, Miss Claire, what, what do you think of what's gone on in Florida? You know, it's exciting uh, to, to hear what's going on in Florida um, because in the national office, we've kind of been looking individually at 
all 50 states to see what's going on. And not surprisingly, every state is approaching it a little differently if they're looking at it at all. Um, so it's exciting to hear that there is some um, movement happening in Florida, um, although it's slow, but that's again, not surprising considering the action we're seeing um, in many of the other states, um, both on the East Coast as well as all the way across the US. Now there are a number of states where mail-in ballots uh, are almost the standard now. Um, do we have information on how accessible those mail-in ballots in those states are? Yeah, so the first state that always pops into mind that we've heard overall pretty good success from is um, the state of Oregon. Um, so backing up just a little bit, um, this seems to be especially popular on the West Coast. Um, so going specifically to Oregon, we've been told and we've heard through our research that um, for persons who want to vote absentee through an accessible form, the counties in Oregon will actually go out physically to the home of people who are blind or visually impaired or have another disability and request an accessible absentee ballot. And they'll bring in like a tablet or an iPad, I don't know what brand it is, and you can sit there yourself, enter in your vote on this tablet, hand it back, and that's the way that you're able to vote accessibly. So it's interesting. Um, like Jim was talking about, there's different software out there and different companies. Um, just a few of them floating around out there. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if many more come to the surface as things change. But that's just, uh, in Oregon is just one example of kind of thinking outside the box and doing it a different way instead mm -hmm. of doing it individually on your own, you know, phone or computer or what have you that we initially think about. This is a totally different approach where you don't even have to own the technology. They'll bring the technology directly to you. Excellent. And, and ACB recently worked directly with the state of West Virginia uh, to get a, a system approved, yes? That's correct, yeah. Um, so West Virginia was a big win for ACB. Uh, we were really excited. So ACB has had a long relationship with a civil rights law firm here in the Washington DC area called Washington Lawyers Committee for Urban Affairs. Um, and one of the things they wanted to start looking at was absentee voting accessibility because as I was just saying, and you were saying, Paul, absentee voting is becoming more popular. Um, in a lot of states, you don't even necessarily have the choice whether or not to vote in person. So they kind of flagged it as an issue. So we started kind of putting feelers out, talking to different members of ACB, doing research on states, and we focused in on West Virginia. And for a lot of reasons, we thought it would be a great place to start. And so we decided to um, hone in on West Virginia, and we reached out to the Secretary of State's office and had been working for quite a few uh, months with one of the attorneys in their office um, and eventually came to an agreement to uh, allow for absentee voting we and the the lawyers with washington lawyers committee made the appropriate argument that they didn't even have to make a new law that said that absentee voting had to be accessible um, like you said paul earlier under the ada and section 504 and hava they needed to make it accessible anyway but west virginia came back to us and they said well we think in the state of west virginia in order to do this we have to create brand new law and amend the west virginia code 
um, to allow for this. And we said, you know what, if that's how you want to do it in the state of West Virginia, we'll take it because then we know you're going to provide accessible absentee voting. So come, uh, this was all going on January, February, and right around the end of February, they said it's going to happen. In the very beginning of March, uh, the bill was passed uh, unanimously and the governor of West Virginia signed the bill. So it's been just over a month now and they promised us that by their primaries that I believe are taking place in June that West Virginians have the ability to vote via absentee mail. Um, and if it's okay I'll take a step back to explain one of the reasons we decided to go with West Virginia was that West Virginia is one of the few states that has a program where uh, citizens, usually military members or citizens who are abroad for whatever reason, can vote absentee um, through a few different ways via computer, fax, etc. So we were able to really stake a claim there and say, well, if these people can vote remotely outside of the country, why can't people within the state vote accessibly via a computer program or an app or whatever it might look like? So that was kind of our, our, our hook, so to speak, was to say, if you can do it via computer for people outside the country, it should be easy enough to do it within the state of West Virginia. And we were successful with that claim. So that's, that's what went on with West Virginia. Absolutely. If I might, Claire, um, mm -hmm. add that um, the vendor that is being certified in Florida is now usable, use, being used in 10 states around the country, and West Virginia is going to use that product. And that product in Florida was originally deployed as a voting system for our military and other voters outside of the state, just like Claire was talking about. So it's a great hook, and it does work well. Yeah. So I want to ask you both this question, and, and it really goes back to my concern earlier. If, if we become really pushy and really forceful in terms of going for mail ballots, uh, are, are we in danger of getting to a place where a state is likely to say, four years or eight years or 12 years from now, well, if everybody who is disabled can vote more easily using remote balloting, um, can't we dispense with machines um, in each polling place? Jim? I think my response to that is no. Um, just like um, we were required to argue that vote by mail had to be made accessible in addition to voting machines in the precincts. Uh, it's the same argument that the voting machines in the precincts, if they're available for everybody else, need to be available um, accessibly. Um, moreover, um, many of us do not want to vote absentee. Many of us would prefer to use a voting system more akin to the old voting machines, something that in essence produces a hard copy ballot, quote unquote, um, and doesn't require um, interface with a computer to execute. So while we're, we've argued for accessible vote by mail, 
it's not going to be the end all for those voters who do not have computer skills that are able to deal with it. Uh, and there are a lot of people that still can't do it. I think in this um, day and age, more and more voters around the country are voting by mail. And I think that, that for blind and visually impaired voters to have that option and to climb on that bandwagon is really the way that it should be. But it doesn't mean that we should disenfranchise those voters who choose to vote at the polling place. Claire? Now, if the sorry, sorry, Jim. No, go ahead, Claire. Um, I completely concur with everything Jim just said. Um, you know, from the legal perspective, no, absolutely not. You can't say, well, if a disability community is going to do something one way and it's most convenient for us, you know, why do it the other way? Um, when, while Jim was talking, I was trying to think of a kind of an analogy or a parallel. Um, you know, let's say under Title II of the ADA with, um, you know, accommodations for shopping, you know, you can do it online and the website has to be accessible under the ADA. So you can't say, oh, we're not going to give accommodations to people who come into the grocery in person because we already do it online instead. Obviously, it's not the exact same thing, but just trying to draw parallels that you can't say we provide accommodations in one, one form. We don't have to do it in the other. It's equal access. So if every other American has the right to vote either absentee or in person, people who are blind or visually impaired should have both options as well. Very good. All right, so one last question for both of you, and then we're going to open it up to comments and questions from others that, that I will encourage you guys to respond to. And so the, the last question is, we, we have a number of primaries coming up pretty quickly. And I know that one of the things that's happened, and I guess it's mostly for Claire, one of the things that's happened recently is we sent a letter to Congress uh, which asks them to use some of the money uh, in the CARES Act that's been allocated for elections uh, to create accessible remote voting approaches. But we've also just today or yesterday sent a complaint to the Department of Justice. And I think a lot of people may not know about that, Claire. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Definitely. Um, so like Paul said, literally this morning, the ACB National Office submitted a complaint to the U.S. Department of Justice Disability Rights Section. Um, and just by way of background for people who don't know, when you file the complaint through the Civil Rights Division of DOJ and Disability Rights Section is one of the subsections of civil rights, you're not placing a lawsuit, for instance. I think a lot of people think, oh, we're suing them. That's not where it starts. When you submit a complaint, you're saying, DOJ, we see something that's um, impacting the disability community, and we believe that it violates the ADA and or other laws. And so we saw that in the state of New York, the absentee voting process to be inaccessible for the blind community because after talking to members of ACB New York and doing some assessment of their policies, the, really the only way you can vote via absentee in the state of New York is via paper ballot. Um, there's no alternative, you can't do it online, um, there's no app, th there's no process we can find that would be able 
for somebody who's blind to do it privately and independently. Um, so we talked with uh, our allies again at the Washington Lawyers Committee um, about it, and we decided we were going to go forward and file a complaint. So today we filed that complaint. Um, and we're excited to see what happens. Um, I actually know several at the several attorneys at Department of Justice. Um, I've interned there a few times in the past, and we had a conversation with them maybe two weeks ago. And the attorneys and paralegals at Department of Justice actually seemed pretty eager themselves to see this issue resolved. That they they equally were frustrated what they're seeing in these different states. So we're excited to see what will happen. They'll, now that we filed the complaint, they'll move forward with an investigation and see what they can find in the state of New York's policy. And then from there, potentially um, make a decision on what the state of New York needs to do to remedy the problem. Excellent. I, I, I think the interesting, Go ahead, Jim. The, Sorry. The interesting ahead. part of all of this is that the federal legislation that's out there and the action that's being contemplated around the country um, is action that could in November close polling places, voting precincts in many, if not all of our states. And we're hearing lots and lots of rumbling about that. So this issue, which started in Florida three and a half years ago, and which has now arisen to a national concern on a national problem is really becoming larger by the day and everybody needs to stay tuned and watch to see what's going to happen with in-person voting in November. I think that's a really good point, Jim. Um, just a funny little personal, personal anecdote. Um, we've been talking about this in the national office now for months and months. And we were talking about in the era of COVID, you know, voting in person obviously has many potential health consequences. Um, I, I joke staying six feet apart in line is not possible. So anyway, when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, I was sitting on the very couch I'm sitting on now, and I was listening to my governor, Larry Hogan, talk during a town hall meeting on, on TV about what they're going to do with absentee voting. And he said, all Marylanders will get their ballot via the mail to vote that way. But if you need an accommodation, because, quote, if you're blind, you will come in person and vote. And I just remember laughing out loud that he literally narrowed in on the blind community as that one community that has to risk their health to go in and vote in person because of the inaccessibility of an absentee ballot. So that was just my fun little experience of literally being called out, our name of the blind community being called out um, because of the inaccessibility of absentee ballots in the COVID era. One of, the, one of the other things that we should probably at least put on the table is certainly in the state of Wisconsin, it was true, and it's certainly been true in every state that I've looked at, though I don't have national statistics to prove it. I would say that 50 or 60 or maybe even 70% of the poll workers at in-person voting locations are over the age of 60. And so what that means is you're actually asking the vulnerable population to go out and put themselves at risk if they're going to man the, the polling places that they've manned in the past. So, scary. Miss Debbie Cook-Lewis, who has a hand up? Um, we will be starting with uh, Christine. I have two comments. Um, one, 
in the states that have actually gone to vote by mail, it's so much less expensive for them to, to um, have people voting because they are voting primarily and, and hopefully accessibly by mail. Um, they are voting without using machines that cost God knows what per unit, just so they'll talk to me. And um, they can, of course, make voting centers somewhere where people can get to them um, so that anyone who wants to vote by mail accessibly, hopefully, can do that. And anyone who wants to vote using a machine can go to wherever and maybe even make it an early voting uh, system in, in most of those states uh, so that just um, saying that only disabled people would vote by mail, you know, it, it certainly isn't the case in Colorado. Um, and no. I don't know about some of the other states, you know, like I don't know um, how in Pennsylvania, we finally got a new class of voters called vote by mail voters, which that means you don't have to give a reason for wanting to vote not at the polling place. Now, do you have an accessible solution in Pennsylvania yet, Chris? No. Uh, it is <laughs> on the way, they say. My, my uh, county director of elections said that probably not for the primary, but possibly for the general election. I could, however, order my vote-by-mail ballot uh, online. Uh, when I get it, I can't... I, ordered it to go somewhere else so that another person can complete it with me over the phone, send it to me for my signature or drop it off in a t-shirt bag at my front door so they don't have to get my cooties. And then I can call <laughs> Ira and put the uh, phone up so that I can figure out where the signature line is on the, um, on the other outer envelope part that tells them that this is my ballot. Of course, I really can't verify my ballot. Um, nope. But um, I suppose I you could. Only, I, I suppose can, you could do a second level of verification by having Ira look at how the person voted for you. That's possible. Yeah. Maybe so, I'll tell her not to seal that envelope. <laughs> it's, so it's amazing how technology has altered um, our our ability to handle mail-in ballots, whereas they were absolutely unusable in the past. Certainly, the signatures now are usable and and we could we could probably verify if we had somebody else fill the stuff out and then said i don't trust you so i'm going to have ira check what you did yeah interesting thanks chris sure appreciate it the yes vote by mail has picked up and it's being touted nationally as an increasingly usable and available option for all voters primarily for decided voters who don't want to go to the polling places. Secondarily, for those of us who want to argue for accessible vote by mail, but its primary use has been in growing numbers uh, by sided voters in most states, if not all states. And they say that when you use, when you have available vote by mail, the number of participating voters has increased in every jurisdiction that has it.
interesting. It's true in the yep. in the the county I live in, Montgomery County, Maryland, um, for our just uh, city-based uh, elections uh, in Rockville this past election. They, without even asking, every single resident of Rockville was sent a ballot because the turnout rate for the city elections had been so low that their um, idea they came up with was just send everybody a ballot and then people will vote. And it, it had some pretty good turnout. So, you know, things are changing. People are coming up with new ideas. So uh, the one thing I did want to say, though, about using IRA to verify, uh, which is a great, great solution. I use IRA for everything and more. But wanting to point out that, you know, if they're if they're verifying for you, it's not technically private because I don't know about you guys. I tend to get the same IRA agents over and over again. Do I want to do I want Bob Smith to know that I voted for Donald Duck? Maybe I don't. So it's a great solution. But, you know, we do want to go further to find yeah, it's ways not, for it to it's be not private. private anymore. And, yeah. And, and, and really, that's the issue. You know, you almost have to sacrifice one or the other. Exactly. If, if, if you're if you're going to end up getting it right. Um, you know, so it's, but it is an interesting conundrum and your point is well made. Miss Deb, who's next? We have Brian coming. So are the clothes nice? I to say that two things are true. Um, one is there is a good parallel to why offering the disability community one method and not the other. There is a parallel in the disability community and that's transit systems where you cannot offer paratransit without offering fixed route accommodation, uh, the lifts on buses, that kind of scenario. So to me, we already have an example of separate but equal is just not acceptable. Second okay. thing is I remember back in the day before the accessible voting machine, that uh, my wife Kim and I worked with uh, the state of Massachusetts and we created a template that you laid over your paper ballot and a cassette recording of the ballot measures and indications of where you would mark the ballot. So we were able to independently mark our ballot. But as you said, Paul, the issue is verifying it once, it, once it's done. We were able to do it privately, independently, but not verifiably. Yeah, and, and there are a number. Today, today yeah. uh, ACB announced a new relationship with Be My Eyes. That also is an option for verifying right. when right. something comes through to you. There, there have been a number of low-tech solutions that have been tried in various states to uh, to make mail ballots uh, more accessible. And I remember those approaches. We tried some of them in Florida as well in the 80s. Um, so, yeah, they were fun. Who's next, Ms. Deb? Mike G. Thank you all, all for all your advocacy work. Um, um, those who know me know that I just moved from New York. We were successful in, in passing an accessible sample ballot um, measure in New York over the last year. And uh, because of the advocacy I, I've been doing, uh, when COVID came into play, I started uh, doing some work from Virginia for uh, moving toward uh, accessible absentee balloting, given the fact that the, the governor made his claim to um, 
you know, non, uh, just making absentee balloting open to everyone. But, uh, you know, so I've been working the outside. So when I saw the release this morning, I was very, very excited. So I want to thank you, Claire. And I do have a call into you. I hope to hear back from you tomorrow, maybe, or the next day. But, Paul, in response to your question about doing away with um, polling places, I believe that they've been voting in the state of Washington via mail-in ballot for quite some time. And I don't believe there are any longer... Uh, polling places in Washington. I would defer to somebody if they there, there are still there are still polling places, uh, as I understand it. That's correct, is it not, Deb? Washington is all mail-in ballot. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank but you. but you do have but you do have available machines at yes, we at, do. at polling places yes, for disabled do. folks to use. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. That I didn't know. I didn't. Yes, know. we do. Yes, we absolutely do. Okay. All right. Who's next? The uh, person on the telephone with um, 9833 on the telephone. Hi, it's Alice. Um, and here in Georgia, we had been trying for several years to get some kind of accessible remote voting by mail and had had no luck. And then we got brand new machines this year and they didn't bother to really check with us and they weren't accessible. So we were in the process of trying to get those so that we could verify our own ballots at the end with those and had just had some success when the virus hit. And then the Secretary of State all of a sudden now has sent out to every voter in Georgia the form to fill out for an absentee ballot. Currently mine's thrown into my important drawer because if I can't do it privately and independently, I don't want to do it. But um, so I'm, I'm procrastinating. But what we have done in the meantime, we tried to set up a meeting with him, with the Secretary of State, and he had all kinds of excuses. One, because he was at home, there was no way he could do a phone conference. We told him that ACB was willing to offer us a conference line. Then he had some other excuse. So we actually have contacted the ACLU both at the state and national level, and they're working with us currently to try to get them to move forward and to do something um, because it definitely looks like for our primary, it's going to be by mail only. And so, you know, he, he, they've drugged their feet before the virus when we kept mentioning it. It was like, well, we're looking into it, we're looking into it, and that was only, that's been the pat answer for the past three years. So, we're hoping now maybe something will come um, of having the ACLU involved, but it, it's not been an easy road. And like I said, they came out with new voting machines, and they're not even the Braille's wrong on the machines. Um, there's so much um, instruction that it's confusing for those folks that have other issues besides just the blindness. So, you know, to us, and I've, I've done the sampling remote ballot. I loved it. I was able to vote privately and independently. And, and the people in our Secretary of State's office are just happy to say, well, you can get somebody cited to help you. And I keep reminding him that the first time I voted privately and independently, all my people won, and I'm not going back to having somebody else help me because apparently I don't trust them. Apparently they weren't filling out my ballot the way I wanted. So. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. You guys, um, what do you guys think of alliances with other organizations? Is that a thing we should be looking for in each state? Uh, I happen to think it's very important. We, we did it 
without an alliance in Florida, but we're not there yet, all the way there yet either. But I think alliances are, are very beneficial and, and very important if you can get uh, other groups uh, engaged. Uh, I think it's great. Uh, I, I completely agree. When we uh, started working in West Virginia, we started working with NICL, the National Center on Independent Living, as well as some local affiliates as well. Um, and that really made a difference of having not just the blind community, but other disabilities as well. And the same thing, if you look at the complaint we filed in New York just today, it also has groups like Nickel and their local affiliates and things like that. So we definitely believe, you know, the, the louder the voice and the more diverse, you know, uh, people behind the, the suit, the louder we can be. I'm overjoyed to see that we can find something to cooperate with Nickel about. There was a, there was a time when that was not the case. <laughs> um, who's next, Miss Deb? Uh, 6296 from the telephone. Hi, this is Debbie Grubb. I have a question. First of all, I too want to add my voice to commend all of you who have worked so hard on accessible voting, something that we all have worked on for so long and so hard. And my question is, could some of you comment about the options for this access to mail ballots for some of us who are a little unsure exactly what they are? Because I know when we go to our supervisors of elections, and ours in Manatee County has always been very open to, I just call him and he says, oh, you're causing trouble again, and he gives me what I want. Um, not quite that easy, but you know what I'm saying. So tell us what some of the options are and what recommends them. And my final part of my question is, you know, back in the day, there was a lot of people giving us pushback because of security and hacking and all of that kind of stuff. So do we need to address that question as well? So that ends my question and thank you for entertaining it. So I'll start with the security part. That's always going to be, well, hopefully not always, but unfortunately, that's always going to be a pushback we, pushback we receive. The true, you know, purists think that the only way Americans should vote is via paper because that's the only true safe way to vote. Um, I saw somebody post something on Facebook the other day, though, that joked about, you know, somebody can just make their own ballots and write on them. So how can you argue that paper is the only true way to vote when you can just, you know, find ways to cheat there too. Um, but regardless, that is always a pushback that we're gonna, to, gonna receive. But you know, we always have the ADA and the Rehab Act and HAVA to, to lean on and say, you know, regardless, you have to make a reasonable accommodation and a paper ballot just isn't going to do that for us. Um, as far as what programs are the best, um, we in the national office, um, I'm quoting Clark always say that we are, um, agnostic when it comes to which system you use. There's a few different systems out there. Um, some where counties can email you the ballot. Um, some that are done on more, th more, um, more comparable to like an app on a smartphone. So there are a few different ones out there. I am not the expert on all the programs, but at ACB National, we always want to say that we don't care what program people choose. We just want people to choose a program that'll make it accessible. Now I know at the state level, obviously getting more into the nitty gritty, you guys want to know what program there are. 
um, because that's going to be important when you're advocating to your, your counties what to use. But from a national level, at least, we're just saying we need to find something that's accessible. And there are a few different options floating out there. And I also like to hope that as this becomes more popular, more companies will start to pop out saying we have another option, we have another option, and we can start to get even more choices. Jim? I'm not an expert on this either, um, but let me just say that the uh, software system that's being approved in Florida is an online uh, website-based system. I do believe they have an app also, but I can't swear to that. Um, but it's an online web-based web um, pr program. Uh, the county has several options for distribution, um, and uh, I can't uh, really give you more information than that, um, Debbie Grubb, but I'll be glad to get you uh, any information in Florida that I can. And the, the comment that I would make, because I worked fairly closely with a number of national uh, kind of election groups when I was most active in this stuff, um, and one of the reasons that ACB didn't get active earlier in the vote by mail system uh, wasn't because we didn't recognize that it was uh, that it was legally required and so on, but that we feared that it it was not protectable and that it was open to hacking. And I don't think there is anybody in 2020 who says that that is not the case. What they say, though. And, and, and I think it's worth saying is despite the increased use of remote balloting over the past three elections, um, there has been very, very little evidence of voter fraud in that system. There's really only been one case in uh, South Carolina, either North or South Carolina, I can't remember for sure which it is, um, where there was some indication of mail-in voter fraud. But for the most part, there simply hasn't been um, the kind of, um, of widespread fraud that at least is possible given the system. Um, so I, I don't think that, we're, that, it's, that it's any less open to fraud. It's, it, it just seems as though um, in this country, there, there doesn't seem to be a willingness to commit it on a widespread basis. Who's next, Deb? We have uh, Kathy. Texas. Our legislature meets in odd number of years, so they will not be meeting this. Someone brought, please, I think, something to try to get expansion of the availability of mail-in ballots because of COVID-19 and uh, how is it being said that fear of catching the virus does not equal a true disability? And so, so let's just push back on that. Um, my own, and I'm, I'm personally willing to put my life on the line to go to a polling place because I still feel that mail in. in Printed ballots are less secure than anything. If I put yep. it on the box, I have no idea what happens to it after that. <laughs> if I go 
always place and use an accessible machine. And I put that printed ballot that we have now in the ballot box. I can at least hope it'll be counted. Very good. Thank you, Kathy. Next, we will have Joseph. I wanted to congratulate Claire for continuing the tradition of people with the last name of Stanley having excellent guide dog teams. <laughs> okay. uh, but my question was, were any Braille alternatives uh, ever considered? A long time ago, there was an organization that had developed a Braille vote pad. You had to feel the holes uh, to, to punch to, to get it in, but I thought it was a workable system. But um, I will use anything that is accessible. I'm just curious about the Braille aspect. Thank you. Jim, Claire? Um, it's an excellent uh, question, uh, a nice suggestion. I will tell you in my 20 years of voting advocacy, uh, none of the task forces that I've sat on, uh, none of the options that have been considered uh, included Braille except there has been Braille on the accessible voting machines. Um, and I suspect that the reason voting machines and systems haven't been pushed with Braille is because there's a fairly small percentage of the population that reads <coughs> Braille and there's a larger segment that does not. Claire? And uh, I apologize if I'm misunderstanding your question, but if you're talking about actual Braille ballots coming out, the argument against that would be that then your ballot is distinguishable from other people. Um, so they would say, oh, look, Claire voted for blah, 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 because they know that the Braille ballot only goes to Claire because she reads Braille. And, you know, for... Um, anonymity and making our, our votes equal and not being, you know, um, stuck out from other people. That's why we want our ballots to look just like everybody else's, even though I would love to be able to read my ballot. I think some of the systems that, that actually will come up as apps and that actually will be usable on computers um, could probably be used in conjunction with Braille displays, which means that you could use Braille input and output um, to actually accomplish the act of filling out your ballot rather than speech. So I think that's, I, I think that, that's correct. Yeah, so yeah. I think that's what we can look forward to in terms of Braille. But, but I think for the reasons that Claire outlined, paper Braille is not likely. Deb? Uh, 3807 on the telephone. This is Carolyn Burley from Ohio. And I, in fact, last November, I voted on an accessible ballot, and I did just for the primaries, too. Um, they, I, they sent me the application on an email, and I copied it over to Word and filled it out. Then they sent it in, and then they sent me my ballot by email. Again, I copied it over to Word and was able to fill it out. They sent me the two envelopes to send it back in. And they put two. They put some holes on the bottom where I was supposed to sign, so I sign. You know, I could sign that. And of course, I could use the. Uh, I could use um, 
a label with my name, address, and telephone number and the last four digits of my social security com- number on the ballot. So I was able to do, do this uh, completely by myself. That's excellent, Carolyn. That's in Ohio. I'm sure That's Claire in will Ohio. be excited. I'm sure Claire will be excited to hear that. Yes, Claire. Yeah, I wanted to Definitely. let. I was hoping I would get called because I wanted to know that that was uh, that was uh, done in Ohio. And as far as Mike went, yes, they did hold the thing up in Washington too. I remember that too. But excellent. Uh, Thanks, Carolyn. So, yeah, I wanted to let everybody know that Ohio does have a way. Now, I guess the ballot does look a little different, you know, as far as the person in the the in the uh, that counts the ballot. It does do. Obviously, yeah. I I I had a copy of the ballot and put it over yeah. in Word, and then filled it out that way. Yeah. Well, thanks, Carolyn. Who's next, Deb? One nine four one on the phone. Hi, this is Carol from Nashville. I do think uh, for people that uh, live in rural areas, having a, a mail-in ballot might be a good option for transportation. Also, um, and I mean, if, if the federal government can use the uh, census uh, online, I don't know why we can't vote online. Um, I'm certainly worried about voting chaos. As many of you may know, we had um, a tornado in Nashville on Super Tuesday. That gave us a taste of voting chaos because um, there were uh, polling places that were literally destroyed and polling places without power. I'm awfully glad I early voted because I really doubt that I would have been even able to vote uh, on the 3rd of March, considering what hit Nashville at 2 in the morning. That morning. Carol, do you so, have um, any ex- accessible mail ballots in, in We do not. That's why I'm bringing this up. We're, we're just like New York. There's, there's none at all. So um, I, I want to find out what we can use, because that's what they'll ask me, is, is what do you want us to do? What program do you want us to use? And, and you know, if I don't have a concrete recommendation, that's a problem. Um, but I, I do believe also that our uh, Tennessee Disability Coalition is interested in this with us. So um, hopefully we can uh, partner with them. But uh, yeah, that is what happened. We're worried about long lines and we're worried about lack of poll workers because we discovered that in the primary also. Excellent. Thanks, Carol. 8201 on the phone. Okay, thank you. It's uh, Jeff Tom. So uh, I wanted to uh, congratulate my colleague, Carolyn, for a great comment. Um, California is much like Ohio, except that we do use one of the online programs, but like Ohio, you cannot submit a ballot via computer, and so you do have to put it in an envelope by yourself or not and you know send it in like everyone else does with the appropriate signature etc etc uh the only other comment i would make uh is that clearly the covid-19 uh, pandemic is going to change the landscape Obviously, we don't know how it's going to change the landscape until fall rolls around and we see whether we have a recurrence or not. 
I think in some states it seems clear it's going to give us more of an opportunity, uh, at least from a political perspective, because some states are already looking at more vote by mail anyway, and we can sort of ride with the with the tide, so to speak. And in other states, they, for political reasons or whatever, they want vote by mail even less because they think it's to their advantage not to have it, and it's going to make it even tougher. So I would just say this is going to be a real roller coaster on a state-by-state -state level, and uh, if you want to uh, get something done, this might be the year to do it uh, in your own state. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Claire or Jim, final comments from you two. Well, I'd love just to bring up one more thought, um, not even pertaining to blindness, but just kind of based off of what Jeff was saying with still having to put your ballot in an envelope and send it off. Um, my generation calling out the younger generation, we don't even know what a printer is and, and an envelope is, you know, we're, we're the generation of doing everything online and electronic and that kind of thing. So I think that's yet another variable to think about. We were talking earlier in the call about, you know, do people even want to vote in person? And yes, if your state provides it in person, the blind community absolutely has to have the right to do in person. But for my generation, we're starting to say, hey, where's an app? We just want to do it on an app. Um, so I think the, the changing tides too of our, the newer generations will also play a role in what things are going to look like as well. Jim? I would, I would agree with Claire. Times, uh, times have definitely changed. I think Jeff is right. COVID-19 is changing the climate dramatically. Um, and I think now is the time to uh, get down and uh, do some grassroots advocacy and force your states to recognize that you too have a right to uh, absentee vote by mail uh, in an accessible format. You don't need to revert back to pre-2000 uh, and vote with the assistance of uh, cited uh, counterparts. Um, that's going backwards in HAVA. Help America Vote Act and 504 and the ADA certainly mandate against that. I'd like to thank my two guests for their wonderful participation tonight. I think what we've managed to learn is that remote balloting is probably the way we're going to have to go if we're going to have full participation and full capacity to participate in the general election this fall. We need to take whatever steps we can at, in every state to try to assure that that remote balloting is accessible to everyone who wishes to use it. Next week on Tuesday Topics at this time, we will have as our guest the Executive Director of the American Council of the Blind, Mr. Eric Bridges, who, among other things, will be telling us what it's like to homeschool a five-year-old Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to Tuesday Topics. We appreciate your participation. Your opinion's important. Thank you for sharing it. Good night. <laughs>